Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you today? So we are at page 109. While many Western writers on early Buddhism have focused on this last aspect as almost exclusively representing the Buddha's original teaching, the balanced presentation should give consideration to all three aspects. Yeah, so last week we went through the three aspects, which is um, whether in terms of this life or in the future life, but both are under samsara and then to go beyond samsara. So, therefore, in this chapter and those to follow, we will be exploring texts from the Nikayas that illustrate each of these three facets of the Dharma. The present chapter includes a variety of texts on the Buddha's teachings that pertain to the happiness directly visible in this present life. So, this chapter is more to do with the present life's happiness. The most comprehensive Nikaya text in this genre is the Sigalaka Sutta, also known as Sikulopada Sutra, sometimes called the Lay Person's Code of Discipline. Yeah, I've mentioned this in various classes before, uh, and it's about this person called Sigalaka, uh, and he was worshipping the, the six directions with his hair wet and all. Yeah, this was instruction by his father uh, to honour the six directions. Uh, so it's supposed to bring him fortune and well-being and so on. So the Buddha um, when faced with that, uh, basically told him that uh, that is, there's another way of uh, honouring the six directions that is done by the noble ones and is uh, different. So then the Buddha expounded to him the, this sutta. So the heart of this sutta is in the section, is the section on worshipping the six directions. Yeah, but actually this sutta has more. Before and after that six directions, the Buddha mentioned about the kind of uh, individuals who constitute uh, good friends and those who constitute bad friends. Yeah, the kind of behavior that a person should have uh, that will protect your wealth and so on, uh, and the kind of activities to avoid. Yeah, a lot of things are like that. Yeah, in which the Buddha freely reinterprets an ancient uh, Indian ritual, infusing it with a new ethical meaning. The practice of worshipping the six directions, as explained by the Buddha, presupposes that society is sustained by a network of interlocking relationships that bring coherence to the social order when its members fulfill their reciprocal duties and responsibilities in a spirit of kindness, sympathy and goodwill. Yeah. So, um, this part here, in which the Buddha freely interprets, uh, reinterprets an ancient Indian ritual. Yeah, this part is very interesting. Yeah. This is not the only time he does this, but in a few other places as well. So, um, in a way, this is a, uh, what do you call it, uh, precedence. Yeah. Or an example of how the Buddha don't simply, when he sees someone doing a different practice, he don't just step in and say, oh, this is stupid wrong, we'll do it this way. Yeah. Sometimes he will do that. Yeah with respect to those aesthetics with wrong view, yeah, that, is, that is fruitless. He, don't, he also don't just go in and then make statements, but instead he throw it back to them and say, what are you doing? Yeah, let them explain themselves. Then he point out the flaw in their thinking. Yeah. Uh, in other cases such as this, he don't directly say that it's right or wrong, but he, he shares with the person that, hey, 
instead of merely like literally worshiping the six directions, you can worship in a slightly different way. Yeah. So uh, I think a few years back I saw this video uh, about I think I mentioned it before uh, about uh, dating of Prince Siddhartha. I think I mentioned. It. Yeah. So that is an example of how yeah. Just take it literally. Then it's a it's a wrong wrong practice. Yeah, but you understand that by giving infusing it with dharma, then it can become a, a, a dharma practice. Yeah. So in Mahana uh, tradition, there are a lot of practices that clearly, if you look at history development of uh, Indian Buddhism, a lot of the uh, Mahana practices were adopted were adopted or evolved from Indian practices. that um, if you were to refer to Diganikaya, there's actually a sutra where um, this this deva, one of the gods, actually uh, tell the Buddha or, or suggest to the Buddha that uh, if you have disciples who are who are practicing in the wild, the woods and so on, and they are under danger, they can recite our name. Yeah? And if they recite our name, we will come to their aid and assist them. Then he, when the Buddha remained silent, so he took it that the Buddha sat in silence. Then he declared, okay, in among our company, there is uh, so and so, there's this God, that God, and he lists out a whole list of, of names. Yeah. So this is like a precursor that to what we call mantra today, yeah, where uh, just mere recitation of various names, Tapetu is basically similar. Tapito has a second layer of meaning yeah, within the, the, the mantra itself. No. So um, the the idea that okay, I mean today we had an interesting conversation uh, in the in the morning uh, or noon time about Theravada and Mahayana. The idea that oh Mahayana has a lot of practices that uh, wasn't found in the early Buddhism. So that is already wrong. Then this one, how <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it is not always certain. Huh? Depends on whether there is right view inside. Yeah. So for that matter, if you meditate, thinking that you meditate, then uh, will will have certain results that is actually not intended. Yeah. Then that is wrong view. Then your meditation is not done. You can do all the Dharma, Dharma activities, but with the wrong view, then that is also not Dharma. So, the six basic social relations that the Buddha draws upon to fill out his metaphor are parents and child, teacher and tutors, husband and wife, friend and friend, employers and employer and workers, lay follower and religious guides. Each is considered one of the six directions in relation to his counterpart. For young men like Sigalaka, his parents are the east, his teachers are south, are the south, his wife and children the west, his friends the north, his workers the Nadia. Nadia means to the 
just guides the zenith yeah, with his customary sense of systematic concision the buddha ascribes to each member of each pair five obligations with respect to his or her counterpart when each member fulfills these obligations the corresponding direction comes to be at, e at peace and free from fear thus for early buddhism the social stability and security that contribute to human happiness are most effectively achieved when every member of society fulfills the various duties that befall them as determined by their social relationships each person rises from the rises above the demands of narrow self-interest and develops a sincere, large-hearted concern for the welfare of others and the greater good of the whole. Yeah, so this is about, this, this sutta is quite unique yeah, because um, in most sutta and the usual perception that most people have is Buddha just talk about ultra-mundane, 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 which is true when he was giving teachings to the monastics. Monastics, you want to be monastic or what to do? So, of course, teach you the supramundane. Uh, but to many lay people, the Buddha actually teach um, social harmony, teach them um, how to actually live among one another. Yeah. Uh, this is also true in some aspects when the Buddha advised the monks on seven qualities on how a community can become strong, and then including the six principles of harmony on how the Sangha should associate with one another. So it's not that um, the Buddha only teach supramundane path to attain enlightenment. So he also focus um, some of the teachings on how to uh, relate to one another. Yeah. So from this general quote of lay Buddhist ethics, we turn to texts that offer more specific points or points of advice, beginning with a selection of suttas on the family. This has separate sections on parents and children, uh, 5,2,1, and husbands and, and wives, 4,2,2, uh, in keeping with the norms of Indian society. In fact, of virtually all traditional agrarian societies, the Buddha regards the family as the basic unit of social integration and acculturation. So the term agrarian uh, it's referring to societies that subsist on agriculture. Yeah, subsist on agriculture. Okay, so It is especially the close loving relationship between parents and children that fosters the virtues and sense of humane responsibility essential to a cohesive social order. Within the, the family, these values are transmitted from one generation to the next. And thus, a harmonious society is highly dependent on harmonious relations between parents and children. The Buddha emphasizes filial piety Text 4,2,1a and the gratitude of children to their parents, a debt they can adequately repay only by establishing their parents in the proper dharma. Text 4,2,1b. Yeah, so this, uh, this uh, 
this section, the one on gratitude, will be found in Amritana Nikaya. There's this sutta called Katan, Katan, Katanu, Katanu Sutta. Yeah. Uh, it actually comprises two sutta. One is on uh, the two kinds of people, one with integrity, one with not. And then those who are with integrity would have gratitude. Then the Buddha went on to talk about two persons of whom their gratitude is hard to repay. Yeah. And who are they? Our parents. Then the Buddha then highlighted that um, even if a person were to serve one's parents on the shoulders and so on and so forth up to 100 years, you cannot easily repay. Yeah. You cannot repay actually. Yeah. But only if you establish in your four qualities. Yeah. So in terms of faith, in terms of morality of precepts, in terms of giving uh, or generosity, and in terms of wisdom, then you can repay your parents. Wholesome relations between parents and children depend in turn upon the mutual affection and respect of husband and wife. Thus, the Buddha also offers guidelines for proper relations between married couples. Uh, so, these four qualities is also found as an advice to person, yeah, which is mentioned below. Yeah. Uh, very interesting because uh, one would think that for the couple to come and ask the Buddha, tell the Buddha that they want to be together in the future, right? Yeah. Today you go and ask any monk, they were like, <laughs> you know, attachment. But the Buddha instead, the Buddha tell them, yeah, you should establish yourself in these four qualities. Then you can be together in this life and in future life. Yeah, the Buddha don't say, ah, so attached, huh? Wow, one life as a as couples is not enough. Let go. The Buddha don't say that. You know? So our idea that attach or must let go of everything in instantly uh, is actually a misnomer. Yeah. If you really want to let go of everything, then immediately go and switch out. Don't stay at home, then want to let go of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the first thing heaven uh, without letting go of anything, first thing you want to let go of is Dharma terms. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea how many times on online uh, people will come to tell me, uh, yeah, actually uh, uh, whether it's Buddhism or other religions, uh, all these are labels. We shouldn't be so attached to all these labels. Nah, <laughs> To me, it's really absolute rubbish. Uh, this again emphasizes a common commitment to ethical conduct and spiritual ideals of special interest to us at a time when many marriages end so soon in divorce. Is the Buddha's advice to the loving couple, Nakulapita and Nakulamata. Yeah, so, this 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 means uh, is very interesting because Mata is mother, Pita is father. So the the dash children's name is actually more famous than that. So they became known as Nakula Elahu. <laughs> Nakula Elahu. <laughs> uh, so uh, there isn't much information given about Nakula. Uh, but if you search you probably can some find some background information. Yeah. So text four comma two two B on how the Love between a husband and his wife can be sustained so strongly that they can be re reunited in their future lives. Yeah. This is not the only sutta about how the Buddha described 
qualities between couples. Yeah. Uh, in many other suttas, talking about the, the different qualities of a virtuous wife, the different qualities of a husband, and so on and so forth. This discourse also shows that far from demanding that his lay disciples spurn the desires of the world, the Buddha was ready to show those still under the sway of worldly desire how to attain the objects of their desire. The one requirement he laid down was that the fulfillment of desire be regulated by ethical principles. So next come a number of texts dealing with the different aspects of household life united by the emphasis on right livelihood. So from relations between people to, uh, to marriages, then off to livelihood. Yeah. So, if you consider the Noble Eightfold Path, in the suttas that the Buddha gave to the monks, right livelihood is established as where a noble disciple goes on arms round and receives whatever is given. Yeah, that is right livelihood, as far as monastery. But if you take that and then put it onto your, your some all of you must go and topo. <laughs> your eyes should be flat by topo. Uh, cannot be. Uh. So two characteristics of the Buddha's injunctions to his lay followers regarding the pursuit of mundane happiness stand out from this text. First, in seeking the good visible in this present life, the lay followers should consistently adhere to principles of right conduct, especially to the five precepts and the rules of right livelihood. Thus, for example, he stipulates that wealth must be acquired by energetic striving, righteous wealth righteously gained. Text 4,3. Yeah, so it's not that he he insists that lay people must Anatta Pedikapha himself was one of the wealthiest persons. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, he also stipulated certain rules as to how monastics should relate to lay people in terms of their wealth. Yeah. That uh, as far as arms is concerned, if a family is under training, then unless the fam that family or that individual inform us that they are doing okay, and they invite us to go on arms. Otherwise, we will not, uh, without being invited, to go. Uh, why? Because there are those who have developed so much, so much faith in the triple gem that the moment they see monks, well, have to give. So one of them actually gave until what happened? Bankrupt. Really bankrupt. Yeah. Such so much so that when the Buddha and his retinue of monks came, uh, he actually offered. Just grew, yeah, and he apologized, saying that because he actually lent uh, a lot of money to his his uh, uh, counterparts, his friends, and then his own uh, ships were actually stuck in some storm offshore. So, and he, he still give give until only left grew to offer. Yeah, so from there we can see this happening. Yeah, so from there, uh, at some point, then the Buddha sat down the group. Yeah, so. Uh, Interesting, uh, interestingly, the Buddha also highlighted the kind of happiness that lay people can have. Yeah. For one, this uh, righteous wealth righteously gained, by doing that, you can have happiness. Yeah. Buddha understands your feelings, uh, you earn money, feel good. 
that is without so connected with that money that you righteously uh, gain uh, to use it uh, to buy things to please yourself. Yeah. Possession gives you satisfaction. You need the Buddha, Buddha don't say, you are attachment, uh, still want to buy things, I buy, buy. <laughs> Buddha actually described that as a source of happiness. Yeah. But of course the Buddha highlighted that the kind of happiness is normal. Yeah. Then further he highlighted that uh, with your wealth, if you were to give, buy for your loved ones, I give you further pleasure. So, a lot of happiness that lay people can have, but all this are short lived. So, uh, again, he asked his lay followers to use the wealth they obtain not only to gratify themselves, but to but also to benefit their dependents and do- and others who live on charity, particularly virtuous ascetics and brahmins. Text four, comma four two. So that is uh, part one. Good visible in this present life. Yeah. Second, the lay follower should not rest content with the mere pursuit of temporal well-being and happiness, but should also seek the well-being and happiness pertaining to the future life. So not just the, the, the temporary well-being. Yeah, temporal basically means that there's a time span. Yeah, there's a time span. Uh, yeah, that means it's time limited. It doesn't last forever. Yeah. Uh, so this is to, to be done by fostering those qualities that lead to a happy rebirth and the attainment of Nibbana. So it's a gradual path. It's often described the Buddha's teaching is a gradual path, like a slope. Yeah. We don't expect you to suddenly just choke. Mm-hmm. Although there are many cases of his disciples from a lay person then overnight choke. Yeah. Uh, but generally they teach gradually. Uh, there's a series of two suttas where uh, the, the key person, they are actually uh, businessmen. So the Buddha initially teach them how to accumulate merit through doing giving. Then after that, observe precepts in order to so giving you enjoy the, the, the fruits here and now. Then further to observe precepts. Then in future life you can enjoy supreme sensual pleasure in the heavenly realms. So once the Buddha see that you establish a patient stage, then the Buddha tell them, do you know that this is inferior compared to the next one? Then the Buddha teach them meditation and, uh, and the bliss of jhana. This is the most superior, first jhana. Then after that, oh, they are able to give up sensual pleasure. Then when you Buddha see that you can achieve first jhana, then the Buddha tell them, but do you know that the thought and sustained thought is still uh, inferior? Yeah. Your rapture and joy is still tainted by that. You should give up on this path to reach second jhana. And then third jhana and fourth jhana. And then even at fourth jhana, Buddha then tell them, Nibbana, please is even more superior. <laughs> So, according to text 4,3 and 5,5, uh, the principal virtues a uh, lay followers should possess, leading to future welfare, are number one, faith in the Buddha as the enlightened one, two, moral discipline as unbroken observance of the five precepts, three, generosity as application to charity, giving, and sharing. Four, wisdom as insight into 
the arising and passing away of phenomena. So uh, the the one in bracket uh, is uh, more the the explanation given by variable Hikubodi. Yeah. Because if you look at the actual text, they just mentioned this form. Uh, in some of the translations, they will actually put footnote and they cite commentaries to explain these terms. Yeah. Uh, why do I say that? Because faith, faith uh, may not be just in the Buddha as the enlightened one. Yeah. Faith can be in the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha and in the precepts. Yeah. Then it leads to observing the precepts. Yeah. So uh, some parts such as this I may not totally uh, agree on. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong to say that we have faith in the Buddha as an enlightenment. But just that the scope can be a bit uh, larger. Uh, for early Buddhism, the ideal householder is not merely a devout supporter of the monastic order but a noble person who has attained at least the first of the four stages of realization, the fruition of stream entry, Sotapati. Yeah. <laughs> what is stream entry? Stream entry is the first of the four stages. Stream entry is a uh, metaphor uh, that the Buddha gave that a person who has entered the stream, uh, stream of Nubhaitopa, uh, leading to Nibbana, use the analogy of a leaf having dropped into a stream would be carried by the stream all the way to the sea. Yeah. So the sea represents Nibbana and then the, the river uh, represents uh, the Noble Topa. So you all must take note of when we all read analogies. Uh, like in this case, the river is representing Noble Topa. By some cases, the river represents Samsara. <laughs> Cross over to the other shore. Uh, whereas here, the shore represents samsara. Uh, that once you step in this, you will you carry it downstream. Uh, you will not go off the way. Yeah. Also, you must be careful, even though the same terms are sometimes you remember. Yeah, and sorry, last thing is so Nibbana here is represented by the ocean, yeah, but sometimes you say Sen Si Hai. So that you see from this, you can see that the Buddha uses terms without being attached to it. Yeah. So he, free, he freely just changed the meaning anytime he need to. You know. yeah. So the, if you are attached to it, must be like this or must be like that, then jala. But to assume that even in to assume that in specific cases there's no meaning, then no intended meaning, that you can just change the meaning and use it in the same way, then that's also wrong. Uh, that's also also wrong. What it means is that while you can see that the Buddha used ocean in different contexts with different meaning, what it means is that at each context, uh, within each analogy, uh, there is an intended meaning. Yeah, so you cannot then refute that there's intended meaning. There's no fixed meaning, but there is still intended meaning in each case. Yeah, dependent on So, so the part. Uh, many times we, we hear Sotapanna more than Sotapati. Sotapati is actually uh, Sotapanna. Uh, let me see. Uh, Sotapanna. So Sotapati is like is is the one is actually the the, the, the stage. The other one is referring to the person. Yeah. So 
inclusion of Sotafan uh, of stream entry, then it means that this should be the stage itself, Sotafan entrance. Yeah. So a, a Sotafana attains Sotafan. <coughs> so finally, with section 6, we come to a selection of text on the community. Yeah, so community. I use this word to refer broadly to both the Sangha, the monastic order, and the civil society in which any branch of the monastic order must be rooted. So, uh, and the civil society in which any branch of the monastic order must be rooted. Uh, so, also linked to the, the, the society. From the Nikayas, it is clear that while the Buddha principally aimed at guiding people toward moral and spiritual progress, he was fully aware that their capacity for moral and spiritual development depends upon the material conditions of the society in which they live. Yeah. So there are some scholars who suggest that um, the, who also agree, has this, uh, this, this um, uh, understanding or, or interpretation of religion, that religion uh, rise and fall depending on the state of the society. If the society is is too uh, is too what I call it too troubled, there's too much problem, then uh, it cannot reach a certain level as well. Uh, but in some cases, huh? Uh, something like that. Yes, Maslow and hierarchy of things. Yeah, the basic needs must be met. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all uh, may have heard of the sutta where the Buddha go out to look for this person who is a cowherd. Yeah. Uh, was it yesterday or today? I just reread it again. It, uh, it appears in another sutta, but also appears in the Dhammapada. Yeah. Dhammapada. Many of the verses in Dhammapada is actually from other sutta. So what Dhammapada has is just a short verse. Yeah, it's usually that in a sutta something happened, then right at the end the Buddha make an utterance. Yeah, and that utterance appeared in Dhammapada. That's why it's called Dhammapada Ajiti. Yeah, it's words of Dhamma that is said by the Buddha. Uh, in in some rare cases, it is actually. Uh, in some other suttas, it's actually verses said by the disciples. Yeah. Yeah, but in that case, the, the cowherd, right, actually the cow went missing. So the cowherd went to look for the cow. So the Buddha arrived, waited for the cowherd to come back. Then the Buddha asked whether he, he need food. And he said he need food. So told the people to provide him with food and everything. Yeah. Then after that, he gave him teachings. Yeah. From this, you can see that prior to Maslow, the Buddha already understood that the basic needs must be met. Yeah, person hungry cannot listen to Dharma. So uh, he acutely realized that when people are met in poverty and oppressed by hunger and want, they will find it hard to hold to a path of moral rectitude. The sheer pain of hunger and the need to ward off the elements and provide for their families will compel them to stoop to 
types of behaviour they would avoid if they could obtain fair employment and adequate remuneration for their services. Thus, he saw that the provision of economic justice is integral to society, harmony and political stability. Yeah. <laughs> Here, talking about sheer pain of hunger. Uh, Kelvin, you saw uh, the... <laughs> She is not the first, she will not be the last. <laughs> so usually so what happened is that uh, the daily verses right is now based on the Dhammapada. So occasionally people will ask questions like what does this mean? So this person didn't ask what does it mean? In fact, a few weeks ago I actually added updated the code so that after the verse is actually a link to the tipitaka.net website where you can read the full thing. Not everybody wants to read one, so I put it as a link. I could have just do, do a code grab and then just insert it. So I would expect, and in fact, lesser people ask the, about the meaning already. Because if you read the full text, it becomes quite clear. So, so this lady come in and <laughs> but the, the funny thing is that I really didn't see her comments, you know. Then uh, she actually, after not getting a response from me, sent me a private message and basically a summary of what she said in the open text. So I read it, I was like, hmm, what did I do this time? <laughs> so I, and she's not one, one of my friends actually. So anyway, I just replied to her like, then after when I was clearing my my Facebook notification because I looked through and see which one needs to be replied, then I saw her name again. I was like, oh, so she must have left something. Click. Then I saw. I was like, hmm. I gave her benefit of doubt. I figured because she wrote totally in Chinese, whereas the text is in English. So that's why I said, uh, you may want to look at the source. Yeah. You can then see what you Oh, so she she came like, oh. <laughs> so I'm like, do I really have to go and search C data? I was actually a bit apprehensive because sometimes Ahanjing, Da Zhenzhang Ahanjing, and Nanchuan Yikaya, they sometimes don't 100% match, you know. So when I search then Suka Vaga, okay, Le Ping, okay, 15, okay, same, and search check. <laughs> 
she's putting me at the same leg as <laughs> So, um, jokes aside, uh, but I, I, I actually felt quite, um, when I, uh, although I put a funny eye, a smiley at the end, I was trying to lighten things, but also to like, okay, you just go, <laughs> uh, but I was also concerned. Uh, for someone to write so much things, uh, and then I saw one of her posts, don't know whether it's her, Xiaoling should be her. One of her posts was, she actually published a series of books, and it's analysis of the various religions. And so, I suspect she's uh, uh, probably an academic scholar, and probably has really gone way off. Ah, yes, yes, yes. 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 And then at some point, that started, seemed to have started learning Buddhism. So, and all her, all the, most of the friends were all, all monks. Yeah, all monks based. So, I, I do a bit of background research before I reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because some people, when you look at that profile, sometimes I don't even bother replying. Because when I look at the profile, some of them are, they are like, yeah, really intellectual. Yeah. So I look at, uh, give her one last chance, benefit of that. Because for me, if after I give you the, I even quote the line and give you the, uh, the link to see data, I'm giving her benefit of doubt that maybe you don't read English. And you just understand a bit and then you just feel that, oh, it's my own saying. I'm like, photo Bali. So I said, uh, <laughs> it's a translation from the Buddha's words. Why are you going to complain, about, complain to me for once? Isn't that people more dangerous in the sense that they kind of know Buddhism, but they go into criticizing Yes. Yes. So, you are absolutely correct. When people like that make those makes it even harder for people to know that they are saying the wrong things. Because So one thing we can learn from this is when people make accusation, we must try it. We cannot read people's mind. But we can maybe infer a bit, guess. Uh, if the intention is not straight up, then don't bother to reply even. Yeah, so I'm giving her benefit of doubt. If she come back with another ridiculous claims, right, you know what I'll do? I'll just call her out and I say, stop trolling. I'll, th that's what I did to somebody, I said, stop trolling. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, quite funny. Yeah. Yes. Some uh, teachers suggest that 
some of these terms, some of these expression, right, is what the Buddha say about the social norm in those days. Yeah. Um, not so much that he agree. Uh. It's like um, uh, I, I do see what you are trying to ask that as much as socially people think in that way, surely the Buddha should set a stand, higher standard. Right? So uh, remember what I told you, uh, uh, I think I told you about that the Buddha declared that uh, among sensual pleasure, uh, sexual pleasure is the most supreme. Doesn't mean that he agreed that it's it's good, uh, but he recognized that all of you like like this one. <laughs> as far as sensual desire of people, you all are like that. So as far as worldly people is concerned, they find a wife who is like. Yeah, but if we have a chance to encounter that sutta, then maybe we can look at the full text lah. There could be some context la. I don't want to jump to conclusion first uh, I also call Bante, why cannot? Oh. Bante Dhamma Ratana also respond to me as Bante sometimes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, page uh, 1 2. So, the first two texts included here prescribe two sets of guidelines for the monastic order. Both are excerpts from a long discourse the Buddha short, spoke shortly after the death of Mahavira, the leader of the Jains. So Jains is actually uh, one of the religion from India as well, uh, and it actually predated Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, between Hinduism and Jains, Jains actually has more similarity to ours. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they differ from us is they, uh, for their categorization, they actually say that even uh, even those roots. Plants, uh, that is the root has is is alive. Yeah, so they don't eat roots. Uh, it's not just onion, garlic, no. Potato they don't eat. Yeah. Then uh, the very strict one I heard. I, I don't know why y'all can go and verify. Don't quote me and say that I <laughs> say wrong things. Uh. I heard. Uh, when they walk, they will have a broom. Why? Because in case of small insects, so they strip as they walk. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, I mean, don't laugh. Is 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 how much they really um, take conviction into what they believe in. That even the smallest, uh, they 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 take the notion of ahimsa, harmlessness to the max. Yeah. So anything that is considered to be a lie, they will not harm. Yeah. So, uh, James. Yeah. According to the Nikayas, following the leader's death the Jain monastic order was already beginning to split up and the Buddha must have felt compelled to lay down guidelines to protect his own order from sharing the same fate after his passing. Text 4, 6, uh, bracket 1 enumerates six qualities that lead to quarrels and disputes which the monks should be wary of and strive to eliminate when they discover them within themselves. Although these guidelines are laid down for the monks, they can easily be given a wider application to any organization, secular or religious, for it is the same six factors that lie at the bottom of all conflicts. The positive counterpart to this, six set, this set of cautionary guidelines is Text 4,62, which enumerates 
six principles of cordiality, which is what I mentioned earlier, that lead to love, respect and harmony among the members of the community. Yeah, so, uh, again, with appropriate adaptation, these principles, loving acts of body, speech and mind, sharing of possessions, common observance of precepts and unity of views can be given an extended application beyond a monastic order to the wider community. The same sutta provides more detailed guidelines for preserving harmony in a monastic order after the Buddha's death. But these deal with aspects of monastic discipline too specialized for the present anthology. So these six principles, like many teachings that can be found in the different traditions, in this case, um, the, uh, the, the order is slightly different in the Mahayana and in the Theravada. Yeah. Uh, in the Theravada, they start off with body, speech and mind and they clearly group them together as, uh, as this. Uh, in terms of body, speech and mind towards each other, then uh, you must have loving acts of this tree. Yeah. Whereas in the Chinese, when we memorize it, uh, they seem to be quite isolated. So, um, but the, the essence of the meaning don't, don't conflict uh, or don't conflict. Mm. So, uh, mm. let me see what time is it? Okay, 10 more minutes. Text 4,63, a long excerpt from the Asalayana Sutta, captures the Buddha in debate <laughs> with a precautious Brahmin Pandit about the Brahmin's claim on behalf of the caste system. In the Buddha's age, the caste system was only beginning to take shape in Northeast India and had not yet spawned the countless subdivisions and rigid regulations that were to manacle Indian society throughout the centuries. Yeah. In the Buddha's time, there were four castes. Yeah. But today, from what I heard, it's actually multi-layered. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of implications. Uh, I read an article about how modern day Indians who have migrated to US, <coughs> that when they want to get married, some families who are very um, firm in this system, uh, they would even find there are people who provide services to go and trace their family tree. And they will literally, like in the sutta say, must be clean or pure up to seven generations. They will go and trace the village and then go and trace with grandfather here, here, here. Wow, all the way. Seven generations. Yeah. And regardless of how your family is now, if at some point they consider that your family tree to be less than perfect, sorry, the, the marriage is off. For better or worse, yeah. Who are we to say that that's right or wrong? Uh, I think for Chinese we have this phrase, uh, yeah. Then what uh, what men pay is all men. Women pay women. Yeah. So, uh, being Chinese in Singapore is uh is quite interesting because, like, especially for for Singaporeans because just a few generations ago our grandparents or in your case maybe grandparents or great-grandparents 
uh, they actually went through something that's quite different from ours. Yeah. Uh, my parents belong to the first generation of Singaporeans and their lifestyle has changed drastically. Yeah. Uh, my ama were, were among the generation who some of them the yeah, bound feet. Yeah. But my ama from what I remember, the feet was not bound. Was, uh, uh, so it's it's so it's so mind boggling because many of these things we watch in movies and for those in their twenties now they would think that it's just a historical lesson, you know. But for many of us it's not so far away. And binding binding the feet is just one aspect. Uh, arranged marriage is another one, you know, which is closely tied to this whole set of culture. Yeah. So while we are not hundred percent like Indians uh, but there are some parallels. Yeah. So when we read about some of the the norms back in those days, uh, quite interesting for Chinese. You know. So this caste system uh, in the Buddha's age. Okay. So society was divided into four broad social castes: the Brahmins who performed the priestly functions described in the Vedas. So. In the Buddha's time, there is no Hinduism. Yeah, there's no Hinduism. Uh, what we call Brahminism is also a English, uh, English modification. Uh. Yeah, they were just basically called Brahmins and the Vedas. Yeah. So Vedas are the the the, the teachings that are supposed to have been spoken by Brahmin, Brahma. Yeah. So the Brahmins are followers of Brahma. They worship Brahma, and they are supposed to be like. Uh, the priesthood who act as the intermediary between the common people and the uh, creator god yeah. and the, the, the aim uh, if I don't recall wrongly is that ultimately they want to return back to the source the source of all the great Brahma <laughs> yeah, which is the great Atman we are all small Atman yeah, this is the Hindu belief uh, for the record don't think that this is Buddhism uh. the, Hin, the, the, the Brahmin uh, teaching is we all are the small I, the small self, uh, the small Atman, and we come from the great Atman, uh, the great self. Then ultimately, you want to return to yourself, but uh, because of imperfections, we cannot return. So we have to go through reincarnation and then adopt different form until we have reached perfection. Then we can get back to the self. If you think about it, just comparatively, you change Brahma. With, with just God, then you, you, you change the word return to the source with communion, then it becomes basically what we call Christianity. Yeah. I'm not saying that they are the same, uh, so don't, nobody can quote me and say that I'm trying to duplicate whatever, but I'm just saying that there is a parallel. Yeah. The mechanism may not be the same. In Judaism, where they say that the Ten Commandments or the, the teachings brought about by Moses is the way then in Christ in, uh, that's Judaism then Christianity which is uh, some would say an offshoot some would say an, a development uh, they believe that Christ came in and then refuted the, 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 the Jewish caste uh, class uh, and then established that no, what you are doing is insufficient yeah. I am the way so they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
but then Christian scholars, not everybody agree also. Uh, Jewish, Jews don't agree with that. But still, to return back to God. Yeah, because we are the outcast from rather than the according to a Christian belief. So you find that this idea of returning to the source is found in many different religions. Yeah, so in Buddhism, actually no such idea. But the later schools adopted this idea. But give you a different name. But so so does it mean that we are all the same? Answer is still no. We must know that some of this adaptation came about as an answer to the the religious sin. But in the initial stage, it was always still still, uh, inside the teachings that all this, while having similarities with uh, the counterpart uh, it's always established that this is still not inherent. This is still no self. Yeah. But later school, oh, Changle Wu But again, even though the, it was established that way, if you really go and read the Changle Wu the, the definition, it's not the, the Wu, it's not the same definition as the Huan Wu, the Wu. Yeah, that definition is still not the same. But later school, forget about reading all the sutras, so become like yeah, so that's why uh okay so <coughs> so the Brahmins yeah the Katiyas yeah or in Sanskrit Satriyas yeah so this the Katiyas here the nobles warriors and administrators uh Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi here listed the nobles, but here the nobles are referring to the aristocratic noble, the nobleman. Yeah. Whereas the Brahmins consider themselves as the true noble. Yeah. So actually, in a lot of uh, uh, suttas, you see these this, this two roles uh, trying to overshadow each other. Yeah. Uh, one one is, is the warrior class, which effectively is what we call the monarch. Then we have the the, the, the the Brahmins who are the priestly caste. Yeah. So in some texts, uh, it is said that for the Chaitriyas, when they look at they talk about the four, then they put Chaitriyas first, <laughs> then the Brahmins second. <laughs> Whereas from the the Brahmins point of view, they put themselves first and so on. Yeah, but later you'll see in some suttas where the Buddha refuted the the Brahmins claim. Of nobility, yeah, they claim that they are born of noble birth. Yeah, so by birth they are noble. Period. No questions asked. So the Buddha in some suttas actually questioned that. What is the basis for you to say that? Yeah, and actually give different examples. And again, uh, that Brahmin is reasonable, and came to the same conclusion that yes, indeed, it is not by birth but by your actions that you are birth. You are noble. So you have the nobles, warriors, and administrators, the way the Vesas, yeah, which is basically the merchants and agriculturalists, yeah, and the Sudas, the menials and serfs. There were also those outside the pale of the four main classes, yeah, who were regarded as even lower than the Sudas. So what is this? This is the outcast. Yeah, what, what today we call the untouchables. 
in the sutta there's mentioned about how the Buddha went to look for one of them who is a person who uh, cleared the night soil today in some of the documentaries you actually see that in India in some villages there are still those in this caste and society basically don't let them have education and they or at least in most of the villages it's hard to have education then number two they they can you can try you can try to go and do other work nobody will hire you yeah so sometimes you've got to wonder why people do this you know that we are all in the same boat mass over here and think about it uh, a hundred years ago we were all under uh, British rule you know? so they are all suffering together yet they still continue doing such things to themselves yeah. why, why, how can we see that there are some people who um, uh, put themselves in such a situation where they like for whatever reasons make themselves go through so much more hardship than others and then we, we just okay Lord they don't want to do or rather in the Indian case is everybody think that we must do and for them it's very hard for us to step to be outside and look at them and like why why is it like that because from some of the documentaries I've seen those who are born into this group they it take a long time for them to undo that wiring you know because from birth they are conditioned that we are like that so hard for them to believe that they can be otherwise so in that sutta that's what happened also that person when he saw the buddha coming he cried in one corner yeah because for them they are considered so low that buddha before he become a monk he was a prince so wow high high nobility you know coming in this way better step one side yeah, so uh, this is not just in the Buddha's time. Even today, this happens. Uh. There were also okay. So from the Nikayas, it appears that the Brahmins, while vested with authority in religious matters, had not yet attained the unche- unchallengeable hegemony they were to gain after the appearance of such works as the Laws of Manu, which laid down the fixed rules of the caste system. They had, however, already embarked on their drive for domination over the rest of Indian society and did so by propagating the thesis that Brahmins are the highest caste, the divinely blessed offspring of Brahma who are alone capable of purification. Wow. This, this statement itself is quite wow, scary, uh, quite a strong statement. Yeah. But this, he, he didn't just say this without any basis. Historically, that was how it is. I think we have reached 9 o'clock. So we stop at page 113, the first paragraph.